We rise for the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 11th chapter. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to see, go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you all to be seated. So to, today is one of my favorite gospel readings of the year. And actually, I say this a lot during the year. There's a lot of my favorite gospel readings. And, you know, the thing about being one of my favorite is I can have a lot of them, right? Now, here's the reason this one is one of my favorites is because it begins with questions to Jesus. And, and I think that the idea of questions during Advent when we're waiting, when we're anticipating, when we're hoping, when we're expecting. This is a season that really becomes all about the questions because it's a lot of things that we don't really know. You know, we've, we've talked before, or I've talked before during sermons, y'all haven't talked as much during sermons, thank you for that, is about the idea that the Messiah that we get, that God sends us in Jesus, is different than the Messiah that a lot of people were expecting and in, in some ways different than the Messiah that maybe we would hope for. You know, I, I think if I were to design my perfect Messiah, if I were to design, design Jesus myself, you know, and then, then there's the old Ricky Bobby, you know, I like to imagine Jesus in a tuxedo shirt because, you know, it says, hey, I'm the savior of the world, but I still like to party, right? And I, and I, I think we all have our kind of favorite version of Jesus. We have the Jesus holding the little lambs tenderly, meek and mild, who wouldn't say a crossword to anybody. And, and we, kind of, we kind of like that version of Jesus because it says to us, you know, we can follow God but still kind of do what we want. Sometimes if I want to be really challenging, I'll ask the question, you know, when was the last time that the things that you believe or the faith that you profess caused you to make a different decision than what you want? There are times in my life where I can answer that question pretty happily. And there are times in my life where I find that question very convicting. I, I think the image of Jesus that, that we like less sometimes is the image of Jesus that we get during these gospel lessons that in some ways we're so far culturally removed we don't understand just how challenging he's being. One of the things that I've, I remembered this week by listening to the podcast and reading the stuff that I like to, that I like to read is uh, this idea of what did you come to see? A reed shaken in the wind? or a man, a, you know, a king in fine robes. The king lives in royal palaces, but what I didn't know was that uh, the reed shaking in the wind was a reference to the, 
to a reed blowing in the wind that was printed on the currency that Herod had minted. And then the, the person in soft robes, you know, remember last week we heard that John came and, and he wore camel hair and ate locusts and wild honey, yay. Well, you know, that's, that's a much different thing than the soft robes that you would find in palaces. And so when, when Jesus is pointing this out, he is drawing a direct comparison between the, the privilege and the luxury and the power that comes from the way it's typically re- you know, expressed in our world. And what's so interesting to me is 2,000 years ago, think about what power represented. Power represented being able to do what you want. We considered people to be powerful who had a lot of wealth. You know, we represent power by 2,000 years ago by the kind of clothing that people wear. And, you know, they didn't have cars, but probably the horses in their stables and the kind of, you know, the kind of carriages that they rode in. You know, probably they, they had whatever the equivalent of a solid gold toilet seat was, right? You know, and look at, look at our, our world in 2019. How do we identify worldly power? By the kind of clothes people wear, by the kind of, you know, we, we have not changed very much. As much as people say that our technology is changing us and our culture is changing us, and as much as, you know, old people say kids these days, and as much as kids say adults these days, we are about the same as we've always been. And so Jesus is saying something that I think is convicting not only for Herod, but for us in our culture today. You know, this idea of earthly power on the one hand being represented by the, the power of being able to, to drive economies and to tell people what to do, and then this really ironic image of a reed shaking in the wind. And the idea that the power of God is not something that's so easily shaken. And, and so this image of Jesus is not Jesus meek and mild. This image of Jesus is one of somebody who is willing to stand up in a place and a time where speaking truth to power becomes dangerous and proclaim that there is another way. There is another power in the universe, another power in the world, whose power is more steady and sturdy than any ruler could ever hope to have. And so we have this image of Jesus who's standing strong. And all of a sudden, you know, we have John asking this question that I think all of us from time to time continue to ask. Again, 2,000 years ago, but still so relevant. Are you really the one we're waiting for? Or is there somebody else? You know, there's... I think we've all in our lives had moments where we have that deep kind of soul bone deep question of is this really the thing that I'm putting my faith in, my trust in, my life in, my effort in, or, or is there something else that I'm looking for? I've, I remember I was, uh, I don't know, 20, 23 I guess is what it was because I was getting ready to get married. and. Uh, I had put off growing up an awful lot. That's a big part of my early life story is that I just did not want to grow up. I, and, and, it, and the other piece of that was I was actively avoiding like trying to be a pastor. So I was, I was also trying to find anything that I could do to, to make myself, you know, and confirm that fear that I'm not worthy to be a pastor. And I just had this moment where I realized that if I want to be a good husband to my wife, and at some point I want to be gainfully employed, I'd have to finish college but I, I didn't know exactly what I was ready to do yet. And so I had this moment where I was driving down, and it's really funny because the name of the road really was Lost Creek, right? 
and, and I was driving down Lost Creek, Lost Creek Drive and just was asking God, what do you really want from me? Is this something that, you know, do you want this for my life? Are you out there? If you're there, say something. And so this is, this is serious. Like the only time I've ever felt like there were words that I might hear from God were the words, stop smoking. So, so like I hear a word from God and he sounds like my mother, right? And the reason I think this is so important in my life is, is not so much, you know, whether it was God or my subconscious, who knows, right? But the reason I think this is so important is because I had a moment where I was questioning the very foundations of everything about my life. And the way I experienced God was not, why would you question me? You should be believing, you know? Why would you question God? It wasn't this kind of, kind of anxious and scared and worried idea of God that we have sometimes in our culture where we say that, well, real faith doesn't question. That's not true. That's not true in the Bible anywhere. The, most, the people who have the most faith throughout the whole course of Scripture question God constantly, question what God wants from them, question what God is calling them to do, question what their place in the world is, because God is not a God who gives us pat answers. God is a God who invites us into relationship. So why would God not sound like my mother, right? And, and it became so incredibly important to me because it was a moment where I real now the, the other end of that is I didn't quit smoking for a little while because I listened to God as, about as well as anybody else did. But, you know, the, the thing about that is that God isn't meek in the sense that, you know, I don't want to offend the people I've created. God is, God is meek in the sense that love drives God to be vulnerable with us, right? And so when we talk about Jesus meek and mild who draws the children to him, what what that means isn't that God doesn't expect anything of us. It's that God is willing to meet us where we are. You know, when we think of the image of what kind of Messiah we really need, what we want is the Messiah that's going to put down all the powers of the world that, that oppress people. What we want is that Messiah that looks much more militaristic and is going to finally come and make everything that we hope for right again. What we get is the Messiah who comes to the world understanding that even if we were to have that immediate change, even if we were to have that voice from God coming down from the cloud that speaks to us, we may not be willing to do what that voice tells us anyway. The strength of God in some ways is loving us into change. And, and so I think it's important when we look at what the kingdom of God looks like according to what we see in the gospel today, that it doesn't look like all of a sudden everyone's moral. It doesn't look like all of a sudden everyone makes good decisions. It, it doesn't look like, you know, all of a sudden I'm going to make everything magically easy. It looks like the, the lame walk and the blind can see and the deaf can hear. You know, and we look throughout the Gospel of Matthew, and we see that the kingdom of God looks like a place where the hungry are fed. It looks like a place where those who are poor have enough. It looks like a place where even the rich seek justice. And all of a sudden, we see that the change that Jesus is talking about in the kingdom of God, that the Messiah we get has in mind, 
is a change that's in some ways much more radical than everyone just kind of doing the right thing and all of a sudden just believing that God is there. But it's a complete reordering of our lives and our priorities. And when we think about this reordering and that question that sometimes is nice and sometimes is nasty, when was the last time we changed our mind because our faith told us to do something different? You know, what we find is something that is both comforting to me and challenging to me, that in those times in my life when I am, I am in that good place where I can, I can hear the, the word of God, not the physical words spoken to me, but, but hear that word and just believe that the kingdom of God is a place where I have enough and let that ring through me so that it inhabits my thoughts, words, and deeds in a really healthy way. You know, that brings me the joy that comes from the presence of God, not that fleeting happiness, but it brings me that sense of fulfillment, that sense of, of wholeness and peace, that, that sense where, and I don't, I don't know whether y'all have a favorite smell, but I, was, I walked into the garage that's kind of become my workshop now this morning, and I smelled cut wood, and there is nothing I like better than the smell of sawdust. And it just made me smile in my heart. You know, that is joy, right? The thing that lasts. And in, in those moments, you know, the joy comes from that. But, but then there are those moments where I don't want the Messiah that God is sending. I want the one that I want, the one where my heart is rebellious, the one where my, where my desires are taking, are taking control, where I, you know, I look at the new iPhone or whatever it is that I happen to be wanting right then, and I'm like, oh, I got to have that. And the joy comes from knowing that that may not be my most attractive self. God loves me there too. And, and even though it's a different joy, because it's a joy that does feel convicting, it, it is a deep joy to know that we are loved even when we're not acting very lovable. So this week, as we go out from this place, embrace the questions that you have about your faith. Embrace the places where you're not certain. And embrace the fact that whether we're certain or not, whether we're good or not, whether we feel worthy or not, whether we're having those good days or those bad days, we can rest in the truth that God's not offended by our questions and that whether we're in those good places or those bad places, the calling of God to the foot of the cross where we all find our joy in God's presence is the same. Amen.